The following is a Frank R. Wilson presentation. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it covered. We talk to those from the industry and learn about them and their favorite scores. Welcome to What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So let's take a look at the shelf of CDs and see what we're going to play today. Recognize that music? It's among the favorites of our guest today. He's the author of over 40 published books. He's also most well-known as the third and first American author of official James Bond continuation novels. He's also uh, very well-known as being the author of the acclaimed five-book serial Black Stiletto. The thing that intrigued me, though, is that he's also a film historian who has uh, taught college classes on film and uh, written for such publications as Cinema Retro, and has lectured on film topics around the world. Now, as if that wasn't enough, he's also a composer and a musician who recently won a Best Original Score Award at a film festival for the short film Ghosts in the Ink. Please join me in welcoming to our program today, Raymond Benson. Hi, Raymond. Hey, Frank. Thanks for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. My pl- I've, I've been very looking forward to this because I... Uh, I've admired you from from afar. I was, you know, one of the first people to buy that bedside companion. That was magic, and we'll I know we'll talk about that later. And uh, I also was uh, very pleased with the continuation novels you did as well. So uh, I'm a, I'm a much. fan. I'm a Thanks. fan. Thanks. I appreciate say it that. that. Um, You're the one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Um, usually with my program, we. Uh, I ask our guests to you know, get to know them a little bit better outside of the topic of of music or outside of the uh, you know the profession that you're currently undertaking. So maybe if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, growing up, um, family, uh, uh, you know, those kinds of things in terms of uh, what it was like growing up, Raymond Benson. <laughs> oh, well, I was I was a child of the 1950s and 60s. Uh, I grew up in West Texas. Mm. And in a small town. And if you've ever heard of a book or a movie or a television show called Friday Night Lights. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's about a high school. And I went to that very high school. Wow. And, uh, you know, and they were very football oriented. <laughs> and still and, are. Yes. Yes. And I am not. So uh, I I was uh, more artistically inclined. And so I read a lot. I went to the library, public library a lot. I went to movies uh, and uh, took piano lessons at a young age, but Mm. I really didn't care for the lessons. So I developed my own technique that I've stuck with uh, since I was about seven. And uh, uh, yeah, and then got out of there as soon as I graduated high school. (laughs) (laughs) 
He so, couldn't wait for that opportunity. Huh? Yeah, right. Aww. And uh, one, you know, one big moment that I should mention since we're talking about soundtracks, uh, and I've told this story before on other podcasts, but my first introduction to James Bond was the soundtrack album of Goldfinger by John Barry. Hmm. I was uh, friends with these two girls that lived next door to me. I was about nine years old and uh, I was over there and the mom was playing on their stereo, the soundtrack record of Goldfinger. And I heard this music, this dynamic, great, sassy music. Oh, and I just went, wow, what is this? And I looked at the record cover album and the mom says, oh, that's this movie that's downtown. And I went home and I said, dad, we got to go see Goldfinger. And he kind of went, um, hmm. <laughs> well, don't, don't tell mom, but I want to see it too. <laughs> so that's, that's how that's great. Fun. Well, that, and that certainly is the kind of soundtrack that would make you take notice. That's for sure. So that's, that's not, uh, that's not hard to understand, but that's great. That's how you got into the whole thing. Um, you know, I was, you, I was a soundtrack collector before I was really into rock music. Uh, mm. I kind of started as, you know, my first, actually my very first record I ever bought that I remember was the soundtrack to How the West Was Won. Oh, wow. That was 1963. And I'm pretty sure the second album I ever bought was Goldfinger. <laughs> so, yeah. Did, yeah. Did you ever, did you ever feel like a, uh, I've asked this of some of our guests, so it's, it's not an original question, but did you ever feel a little bit like an outcast or out of place because you happen to like this music played by orchestras and you weren't into the latest band or singer right now? Well, if I was outcast, uh, I didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair so, enough. Yeah. No, you didn't feel weird or different because no. you had a, this unique taste in music that a lot of people didn't potentially share with you though. No, it's, it's, I really didn't get into sort of pop music and rock music until the, the latter half of the sixties. Uh, so, I mean, by then I was already in junior high school and, uh, and you know, so yeah, I was kind of a late bloomer with rock music. That's it. Yeah. I, you know what? I could say the same thing for me slightly, you know, a few years uh, later, but I would say that I kind of went that same, that same path. So that's real interesting. It, um, yeah, I, in fact, I really, I didn't even listen to the radio for music for a long, probably until I was in high school. So, um, I also noticed when I was looking through your background, uh, other than than uh, than being an author and doing all these wonderful things that you've done, that you also got into some uh, computer games and and uh, authorships of that. And you, yeah, I'm curious. Uh, well, tell me a little bit about that. I spent about ten years doing that. Uh, it was right after the publication of the James Bond Bedside Companion in 1984. Uh, I, you know, this was the ground floor of computer games when PCs were just coming into the home, like you mm -hmm. know the Apple IIc or the Commodore. Uh, and uh, the, those first Macs that were that were coming out. Yeah. Uh, the uh, my literary agent who had helped me with the James Bond Bedside Companion uh, had somehow gotten uh, a query from a game company that was outside of New York where I was living at the time, and they were looking for a writer and they had a license to to, to do a couple of James Bond games, hmm. and he thought of me, and so you know, and at that time games were all text there were no graphics yet uh, uh, they were they were like you know you are in a forest and you see a sword on the ground and a path to the east what do you do you type pick up the sword and it says you have a sword now what do you do <laughs> and it goes uh go east <laughs> and you, you that, that must have been a, that must have 
that must have been really fascinating to work on, though. I mean, that yeah, was something yeah. totally different than what you were, you know, used to doing. I'm sure. Yeah, and that's really kind of how I honed my fiction writing was hmm. writing and designing these games, and I did it for ten years. So by the end of those ten years, we were pretty complex with graphics, and they were they were big teams and very technical. And uh, you know, I was I guess if you use a movie analogy, I was the screenwriter. And sometimes director, depending okay. on what what the what the product was. And I was doing that when uh, I got the call from the Ian Fleming. Uh, well, well, I, I uh, want to get into that a little bit later. Yeah. I, uh, I want to get into that maybe just a little bit later, but um, that that must be exciting and interesting from your standpoint because you were on the ground floor of that to to see where it's gone, to, you know, how much it's progressed, really in a relatively short amount of time, historically mm-hmm. speaking. Yep. It's amazing what what I, what what these adventure games now are like on an Xbox or something. It's it's it's, it's so realistic. It's just uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, you you had a really interesting list of uh, favorite cues that I want to start exploring. Uh, it was one of the reasons why I was intrigued with having you on on the program was because you are a film historian and I think you. While you and I have a connection on the James Bond angle, you, you're much broader than that. You actually, you know, you love film in general and and even teach uh, uh, college level programs on it. So and your That's list right. reflects that. And so which was really great. Um, well, you know, most people would probably expect John Barry to be my favorite film composer. And, you know, sorry, John, but, you know, I love you and I. You know, you are one of my favorites, but you're not my favorite. <laughs> I, I noticed that, and 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 that was a little bit that was a little a mild surprise to me. But but when I see who you have on there, I can you know I can't argue well, with that. Also figured you know you have a lot of James Bond people on your show, and and they play a lot of Bond music, and I wanted to do something maybe that people didn't really hear a lot. So I picked some of my more uh, non-Bond stuff. <laughs> Yeah. I, well, let's, and let's start with one that's a, a, a classic that most anyone I think would know. Oh, yes. Uh, it's a, once a, a favorite of mine as well. Uh, it's from the film The Good, the Bad and the Ugly. And if memory serves, we're talking about Ennio Morricone, right? That's right. And he tell is us, my tell us why that made your list. Yeah, he is my favorite film composer. I just love his stuff. And uh, when I first, you know, I, I first heard A Fistful of Dollars, that was the first, uh, you know, movie of with his music that I saw. And I was just fascinated by this sound that you'd never heard before, you know, the whistling and the twangy guitar and the whips cracking, mm. and the, the voices in the background chanting. And, and this was for a Western. And, you know, now <laughs> these days it's cliche. You see a commercial, a TV commercial, and it's set in, in the West. You're going to hear a soundtrack that sounds kind of Morricone-ish. You're right. You're right. I hadn't really thought of it, but but you're absolutely right. It's it would it be safe to say he might be he might be the most prolific composer? I mean, in in, in terms of pure numbers, just the number yeah, of scores well, he's written. Uh, apparently, it's way way over 400. Yeah, I know. It's an insane number. Yeah. I mean, most of it's all, you know, Italian films that we've never heard of or seen. Right. Uh, but, yeah, but, you know, he's done enough that made its way over to the West that uh, it's, uh, you know, they're they're all fantastic. You know, I love all of his stuff. I know. it's uh, I'm a fan of his as well. Um, let's let's have a listen to this. This is the 
the main title from the film The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and it's written by the maestro Ennio Morricone. So you've mentioned uh, already probably your first major uh, success as an author, and that was the uh, the book that uh, that you wrote called the James Bond Bedside Companion, which was it wasn't a novel or it wasn't fiction; it was a, an analysis, I guess, if you will, of the character. And if I recall correctly, both in film and in print, in other words, the novels as well. Um, t- how did that How did that happen for you? I mean, you just you didn't just wake up one day and say, "I'm going to write a book on James Bond." I mean, I'm curious. That's kind of the... how it happened. Oh, really? Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. I apologize. <laughs> well, you know, I was I was a big fan as a kid, you know, all through the '60s, and mm-hmm. you know, in the '70s, I went to college and uh, became a theater person, moved to New York City, directed plays, did music, and kind of kind of got out of the Bond groove there for a while in the '70s. But in the early '80s with the publication of John Gardner's new Bond novel, License Renewed, and mm-hmm. the release of For Your Eyes Only, which was which was uh, a Roger Moore Bond film that was a little more serious and, and kind of harked back to the 
to the 60s bonds. Right. That I saw I saw and that was all the same, like within a couple of months of each other. And I just kind of got excited again about Bond. And I started rereading all the Fleming books and um, and some friends of mine were sitting around the table one day that summer in 81. And the question came up, what book would you write if you had to write a book? And oh. I just kind of went, well, I'd like to just because I want one, I, I'd write a. A sort of an encyclopedia coffee table book about the history of James Bond, but I'd wanted to have, you know, in, uh, you know, stuff about Ian Fleming mm. and analyses and critiques of all the films and all the books and, uh, you know, a history because there was not a book like that at the time. That had You're right. Everything. No. In fact, if I recall at that time, maybe a couple of books were out. I mean, there was that, uh, the John, was it John Brosnan wrote a... Yes, there were, there were two only two books on the films. Yeah, it was There was a couple much. of Ian Fleming biographies, but they were out of print. Yeah. Uh, there were, you know, two or three books about the novels uh, that were out of print. And that's it. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, I, you know, I did some homework about how to go about uh, pitching, you know, the concept to a publisher and I did it and I got a contract to do it overnight practically. And it wow. took me three, took me three years. Uh, and I traveled to England and, uh, met members of Ian Fleming's family and his colleagues, you know, the people that run the literary business and, uh, a lot of his friends and, uh, hmm. and it, you know, um, they liked the book when it came out in 84. Uh, and that's, uh, so we stayed in touch and that that's the connection to how, you know, I, how they knew about me. Yeah. That, I, I'm not surprised it would take three years. I mean, it was absolutely amazing to, to look through this. I, I'm just, I, I think you can, you still get it on Amazon. Well, the book, the print book is out of print. Uh, you can, you can get an oh. ebook. It, it is available. Yeah. as an ebook and a, and as an audio book as well. Okay. But it's the 1980s version. It's the 80s version. It hasn't been updated. Uh, okay. So. Uh, Did you read the audio book? No, no. Somebody else. Some, got, somebody that can. Someone else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that is that's an, an amazing story to just kind of come up with that idea and dedicate and and it doesn't sound to me like it was one of those classic stories where you went to 10 publishers and they all said no and no not ready first, to give up you, the first the one first you chose publisher. said yes yeah. <laughs> oh, wow yeah it doesn't happen like that much these Do, days <laughs> no, no, no. well you know for all the listeners out there i'm going to guess a great majority of them may already have this book but if you if you don't i would highly encourage you to Seek it out either as an ebook or or maybe on eBay a copy might be out there. Oh yeah, they uh, show or the audio book. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's just yeah, secondhand just stores that. and uh, used bookstores and things like that. You might find that's it. True. Yeah, that's true. Um, another one of your cues that you chose. Now I'm going to butcher this because I don't I don't speak. I'm going to guess this is Italian. Uh, I'm going to ask for your help on this. Well, it's it's written by Nina Rota. And, Nina uh, Rota. Oh yes. Well, it's eight and a half. <laughs> I, I think I probably sent you the the track, and I mean the the album was all in Italian, but this is the uh, finale from uh, the movie Eight and a Half by Fellini uh, in 1963. Mm-hmm. And you know Nino Rota. Uh, composed just about all of Fellini's scores, starting with The White Sheik in 1952 until Nino Rota's death at the uh, at the end of the 70s. 
so, uh, you know, we know over here in America, we know Nino Rota mostly for The Godfather and The Godfather uh, Part Two, and for the 1968 Romeo and Juliet, okay. uh, which were all big hits. But, uh, you know, his work for Fellini is absolutely fantastic. So this, you know, this finale that I picked is the, the last, you know, four minutes or whatever it is uh, of the movie. And it just uh, it's just exciting. Yeah. So it's it's lot. Uh, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> I'll just butcher it if I try to say the name. But uh, it's from the movie Eight, Eight and a Half, correct? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's uh, it's written by a, a wonderful composer. I think you really enjoy this. It'll be a nice treat. It's written by Nina Rota. Let's have a listen. Thank you. 
You got into um, uh, a little bit of the story about the James Bond continuation novels. Uh, maybe you could expand on that a little bit because you were on their radar as a result of the work you did in the uh, in the mid '80s. So uh, that's right. just tell me a little bit about how the continuation novels came about because that's to me that's a big big deal. You know, yeah, I mean, that's it was, amazing. Yeah, it was a big deal. I I had big <laughs> shoes to fill. Yeah. Uh, I was, you know, I kept in touch with uh, the company. I mean, at the time it was called Glidrose. Now it's called Ian Fleming Publications. Mm. And they're the people that, that run the literary business. And the head of the, the company is, was, was Peter Jansen Smith, who was Ian Fleming's literary agent. Oh, okay. Right. And, uh, you know, after the Bedside Companion came out, we stayed in touch. And I, I did little odd jobs for them, no pun intended. Uh, for the rest of the 80s and early 90s. And, you know, this is when John Gardner was writing the books. But then, uh, you know, and I was doing the computer games. Right. And then in late 1995, uh, I got a call from Peter and he says, uh, Raymond, John Gardner wants to retire from doing the Bond novels. And we wanted to know if you'd like to give it a shot. Wow. That's how it happened. It just out of the blue. I didn't ask for it. Yeah. they just figured, you know, I knew the universe and I'd well, been writing yeah. all these, uh, you know, adventure games and stuff, which which had multiple plots. You know, they were very interactive and mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't just one plot. You had like four or five. And uh, so, yeah, that's how it started. And wow. So I quit. I quit the computer gaming industry <laughs> and became a full time novelist from then on. That's that's amazing. I, 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 I can't even fathom what it would have been like or what it must have felt like to get a phone call like that totally out of the blue. And with it wasn't even it wasn't anywhere on your radar, I'm guessing. And no, to have that kind of an offer. Yeah. Uh, like you say, big shoes to fill. Uh, but yeah. let's. Um, wow. I, I'm blown away by that. And I'm trying to remember which one was the first one that you wrote. It's called zero, zero minus ten. ten. OK. Yep. Yeah. Because uh, I'm going to explore those uh, some of these uh, books and uh, a little bit more. Well, not the books so much in detail, but your writing of the continuation novels as we kind of go through the program. Because some interesting things mm-hmm. I'd like to find out about it. Wow, it was very exciting. It that must have been some pretty serious pressure as well. Well, yeah, it was big shoes to fill, like I said, and um, you know, I had I I hadn't published a novel. I'd written uh, computer games, you know, fiction in that way. And I've done, you know, and I had actually written a novel. It just wasn't published, mm. uh, which which Peter Jansen Smith did did read. Uh, so he knew I could start and finish a novel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's an important thing. Can you, you know, a lot of people have ideas for novels and, you know, they might start it, but they never finish it. Uh, that's, uh, you know, finishing a novel is probably the, you know, one of the most important steps <laughs> published. It's easy, yeah, true. I guess it's probably easy to start one. It's quite yeah. another to be able to finish it. Uh, right. 
So, um, yeah, it was, it was dying, you know, but, but it was an exciting seven years of my life, I got to say, and I was constantly busy and I traveled the world and I met a lot of great people. And, uh, so it's, uh, you know, I don't take it, I don't take it for granted. I don't take it for granted. I, I totally, uh, understand that it was a, uh, it was a gift. Yeah. How many books did it end up being? Uh, well, it was six original books and then three movie novelizations. Right. Holy smokes! In in seven years? Yeah. <laughs> Plus three short stories. <laughs> so, that's right. Holy nine, smokes! Nine books and three short stories. Now, that's more than a full time job at that point, but I'm sure you reap some nice rewards as a result. So that's wow, that's amazing. And I think your story is interesting too because here you grow up being a fan, just you know like anybody else, just a real fan of it to the point where you actually now work on that thing that you were a fan of is, uh, is quite exceptional. That's terrific. Um, you'd uh, chosen a cue from a, a film written by a, a Preisner, I believe is how the name is pronounced. I, yeah, it's, someone it's I've like, never yeah. heard of before in a movie. So I'd be curious to tell me why that made your list of t- favorites. Oh, Zbigniew Preisner. He's a Polish composer. He he is mostly known for the composing all the films for uh, Krzysztof Kislowski, who was a Polish film director who came out of the Iron Curtain and suddenly we saw all his films. And in the in the mid 90s, he did a trilogy uh, that were uh, Polish and French uh, co-produced hmm. uh, and they were called the Three Colors Trilogy. Uh, the first one was called Blue, second one was called White, and the third one was called Red. And Red actually uh, got some Oscar nominations. Uh, Kieslowski was nominated for Best Director for wow. it, and uh, the screenplay was uh, nominated. And Preisner has done all these, all his scores, and it, he just writes very haunting, beautiful music. And he's done some other Hollywood movies too, but he mostly does Polish stuff. Uh, but that's how I discovered him was through the through the films of Kislovsky and, and uh, especially the, the three colors. And uh, I think red is one of my favorites. Three colors. It's um, it, it's a drama or a documentary or. Oh, they're dramas, uh, but they're very ironic. OK. Uh, you know, uh, Blue stars Juliette Binoche. You probably know who she is. She's a famous French actress. Um, sure, and in yeah. uh, Red has uh, Jean-Louis Trintignant and, and Irene Jacob. Um, they're they're you know they're movies about fate and destiny. Uh, that's mm-hmm. kind of th- those were the main themes of Kislovsky's work. And uh, it, they're beautifully shot. Uh, they're gorgeous to look at. Uh, they're very subtle, and uh, they, they require at least uh, you know two or three viewings to totally absorb. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and uh, they're just they're just excellent, and well, uh, now, the score is wonderful. So yeah, and now yeah, you know it, why I wanted Raymond on the program because we're <laughs> expanding our horizons far more than we usually do. Um, so yeah, let's let's uh, let's have a listen to this and uh, learn a little bit about some other aspects of filmmaking. This is written by Preisner, correct? Yeah, and it's from the and it's uh, from the film Red.
staying on the the theme of those books, and I do want to get into some other things uh, here eventually, but the continuation novels, I'm sure you've been asked this, so it won't be anything original, but I just kind of need to know. Was there any talks at all about uh, making those into films? Ah, well, you know, I can't really get into that too much. It's just that, uh, uh, I mean, it's kind of obvious that Eon Productions has not shown any interest of in any of the continuation novels by any author. Yeah. So, you know, they haven't touched them. I mean, la- actually, you know, la- the last movie, Spectre, uh, the torture scene uh, was was taken from Colonel Sun by Kingsley Amos, Robert okay. Markham. Right. And Kingsley Amos did get a, 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 a shout out, a credit in the la- in the final credits. Hmm. His estate was thanked. But that's the as far as, I, you know, that's nobody knows why, you know, they have no, I, you know, they just like to write their own original scripts. So yeah, I know, but that's still kind of kind of a shame because there's some, you know, some really great books. I just because I asked you about zero minus ten, I seem to recall very vividly. I don't know if it was that I can't swear it was that book, but I was getting started with one and it was almost almost like I could imagine the gun barrel. Uh, you know, coming on before I started reading the book, and and it was you know you really did a great job of painting this picture of what was going on, and I thought to myself, oh, I hope they make this into a movie, and uh, it's interesting how that's nothing's happened on that. Well, uh, you know, I'd love for it to happen, and maybe it will someday. Who knows? Go into into another selection that you had, something that's I think a little bit more well known by a lot of our listeners, and it's and it's a favorite of mine. Uh, this is from the uh, the Hitchcock film North by Northwest. Um, I'm trying to remember. Was this Bernard Herrmann? Uh, yes, Bernard Herrmann. Uh, now he's he's right up there with uh, Morricone and John Barry for me. Uh, Bernard Herrmann was just a genius. You know, he started off uh, with Citizen Kane. That was his first score for Orson wow. Welles. And uh, you know, he did stuff all through the 40s, and uh, he even did The Day the Earth Stood Still in 1951. He was the first one to bring a theremin into the into the orchestra <laughs> and uh, he started working with Hitchcock in 1955 and he had a nice uh, uh, long run with Hitchcock where he scored all of Hitchcock's movies between 1955 and 1964 and uh, North by North you know the, the triumvirate for me are, is Vertigo, North by Northwest and Psycho those three right in a row bam 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 in 58, 59 and 60 wow and, Probably North by Northwest uh, might might be my favorite, although I probably like them all the same. But I just think this main theme from North by Northwest is so dynamic and so complicated, and just it, it's just an extraordinary piece. And 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 probably really um, sets sets the mood for what the movie is going to be like. I mean, he captured it musically. Does that make Absolutely. sense? What I'm saying? Yes. Yes. Um, which to me is a real talent. And it is funny how sometimes you can hear the main theme of a movie and it already kind of gives you a feel for what this is going to be about. And I just, you know, the, the, the magic of being able to create that is just boggles my mind. Well, let's, uh, let's have a listen to this. This is the main theme from the Hitchcock film called North by Northwest. And it's written by the maestro Bernard Herman. Thank you. 
so uh, the continuation novels uh, go on for a while, and then all of a sudden that I, we don't have to get into why it stopped, but those novels then stopped. And uh, but you didn't let that stop you. Your creative juices were still flowing, and you started to branch out into other things. Tell me, just tell me a little bit about that, and in, in general, what what other works were you did you start to work on? Well, when when uh, the bond gig ended, which you know the the contract ended, that's the way they do it. Yeah. Um, I had to basically reinvent myself and and just really start writing my own stuff. So I uh, I started writing my own brand of suspense thrillers and also doing other tie-in, what we call tie-in work, uh, novelizations of oh, okay. uh, say you know video games or or whatever. Which is good bread and butter money, hmm. and uh, so yeah. So for the you know since you know the, my last bond was in 2002, and starting then and forward, it's all been you know Raymond Benz's stuff, uh, and um, you know I did I, I did a couple of Tom Clancy books and Metal Gear Solid, the 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 Japanese video game, and Hitman and some other stuff, but mostly I've been concentrated on my on my you know my books my original stuff and uh there was uh at the, at the beginning of this decade uh, the 2000 around 2011 i started a serial called the black stiletto mm. and that was that was five books and it, it's kind of like harry potter in that it tells one big story over five books and and uh that i, f- I feel like that's my magnum opus Okay. Um, I'm I'm most proud of that, and uh, it's it's been optioned in Hollywood, and whether it'll get made or not, who knows? But uh, it's it, yeah, I'm I'm pretty proud of that. And then my last, you know, my most recent works are are thrillers, suspense novels that you know kind of tackle social issues. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and did, uh, you know. Did you ever think about? Um trying to tackle something away from the uh, the thriller uh genre and do no, something not really different no that's yeah. that's kind of my 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 bag <laughs> yeah oh, that's understandable yeah. yeah um going back to your list the uh the film the piano is another one that you've uh, that you've listed here is among your favorites um this is i'm trying to remember the composer on that is yeah, michael michael nyman Nyman, okay. Yeah, Michael Nyman. Tell us a little bit about why that made your list of favorites. Well, uh, I I had gotten interested in Michael Nyman in the early 80s when I saw a movie called The Draftsman's Contract that was directed by Peter Greenaway. And the score was really wonderful. So I went out and bought the album, the the soundtrack, and I kind of followed Michael Nyman. I mean, he's kind of, you know, I I discovered him around the same time I discovered Philip Glass, who I also like Mm. a lot. And uh, Nyman uh, not only scored almost all of uh, Peter Greenaway's movies, but he did a lot of other stuff, too. And the the 1993 film by Jane Campion, uh, The Piano, that starred Holly Hunter and Anna Paquin and Harvey Keitel, uh, I just thought it was a beautiful, gorgeous score. And, of course, it's piano based. Uh, mm. And I'm a piano player, so I was naturally attracted to it. I just think this is just a fantastic piece of music. All right. Well, let's uh, let's hear it for ourselves. This is a. Uh, I'm trying to think. Was this the main theme we were playing? Yeah, or? I mean, yeah. yeah, it is the main theme, and it's used a lot in different arrangements throughout the, the throughout the movie. Okay, and it's from the uh, film uh, The Piano, and it's written by Michael Nyman. 
There is so much that I want to ask about, and I'm, I'm going to be limited by time, unfortunately. But a couple of other questions I'd be curious about, especially given your background and expertise on film history, if you will. Uh, what what is the state current state you think of scores for films? Has it you know has it gotten better or is it worse uh, or is it just different or? Uh, it's different for sure. It's, I think you know the 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 old school of an orchestral score is vanishing. I mean, you get it every once in a while, and yeah. uh, we had some kind of nice ones actually this year that were nominated for Oscars. Um, you know, Thomas Newman still does some good scores. John Williams still does some good scores. Yeah, Danny amazing. Elfman, uh, and uh, every once in a while you'll see Philip Glass uh, do something. Um, but uh, most scores these days are, 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 you know, just compilations of pop music that they've, you know, gotten licenses to all these songs and they put them together. And uh, if there's any kind of thread of, of original score holding it together, it's very minimal. Do you find, um, well, if I ask it that way, it's a leading question, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, is sometimes music overused uh, in, in scoring? Well, I... Eh, well, I don't know. It depends on the movie. I mean, I think a uh, a director who is not uh, as good as some may overuse music, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just let's you know, you take action movies. If you look at a Bond movie, let's look at the Bond movies of the 60s. OK. All right. John Barry, you know, first of all, his scores were very melodic. You could you could buy one of his soundtrack records and put it on and use it for not only easy listening, but just listening, you know, and you could right. you could come away humming every track, even the action scenes. They had melodies. Yes. You know, and the movie, the filmmakers, they knew when to not have music. For example, uh, the fight between Sean Connery and Robert Shaw in the train in From Russia With Love is silent. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Uh, the same is true of Goldfinger when he's fighting Oddjob in Fort Knox up to a point. It starts right. off completely silent. And then when it looks like uh, something dramatic is happening, they bring in that little triangle, you know, that ding, ding, right. ding. And it's very effective, you know. Today, you know, somebody would have music going, you know, it would just... You know, there's there's a time and a place for music and a time and a place to to keep it out. Yeah. And, and let the let the, the scene and whatever sounds are happening in there and do the talking for you. I, yeah, I totally agree. It's almost gotten to the point where and I don't know if I'm just being an old fuddy duddy or not, not getting with the times. But it just seems to me almost to the point where it's irritating to me that it's played so much mm -hmm. and that it, it loses its impact because you, you're hearing something all the time. So. Interesting way to look at it, and it's a great segue to the the uh, cue that I wanted to play next, because you gave a, a an example. I don't try to think in this movie might be the one exception. Uh, I'm talking about a James Bond film called On Her Majesty's Secret Service, uh -huh. which a lot of people, uh, probably myself included, tend to think is maybe perhaps his uh, his best score for a Bond movie. Well, tell me my, a little bit about including I, that in here. Yeah, list. I don't I don't like to use the word best. But I, it's certainly my favorite. Okay. <laughs> my favorite yeah. John Barry Bond score is Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And uh, I, I just think it's, you know, he, you know, this was the first score to use a synthesizer. 
mm-hmm. and we'll hear it in this uh, main theme. And I just love the main theme. You know, it was, it was all instrumental. It was, uh, you know, we hadn't had a, an instrumental theme since From Russia With Love. And it, it just had a great melody and it was exciting. And it went with the visuals of Maurice Bender's, uh, you know, title sequence. And, right. You know, and, you know, and they played it, you know, several times throughout the movie. So when you left the movie, you knew the song. Yeah. So, yeah you like know. you said, it, it, it's hummable. That's that's. It's like uh, the discussion on the uh, – I don't want to divert too too much, but the uh, the new film that's coming out sometime, I guess, now. <laughs> um, I, I can't hum that, the, the, the title song. And well, that's... I haven't heard it. I haven't heard it. I've purposefully avoided oh, wow. it because I want to hear it with the movie. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean I, I'll probably hear it now, but, you know, since it's going to be a long time before the movie comes out. Um, but uh, I, I purposefully – avoided listening to the song because for every bond movie i've seen except for goldfinger uh i uh i heard the title song with the movie first time seeing wow it. you're you're diehard yeah i i don't think I, I i couldn't even i don't think i could stop myself from wanting to know what, what you know whatever i could know before the movie came out but i know there's a lot of people like you that try to avoid spoilers and uh, yeah. it's getting tougher and tougher in this day and age to to do that mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. How interesting. Well, let's 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 listen to this uh, terrific theme from uh, the film Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, again, one of the first, if not the first, use of a mood uh, synthesizer uh, in a film. And of course, it's written by our favorite, or at least my favorite composer, and one of Raymond's favorites. It's written by John Barry.
So what's uh, what's in Raymond Benson's future? Do you have uh, things in the pipeline that you're working on that you could share with us? Or well, there's some still, recent projects that are out yeah, there? I'm still promoting my last book, which came out in October. Uh, the, uh, it's called Blues in the Dark. And it's a, it's a Hollywood film noir in the shape of a book. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm real proud of that book. And I'm uh, currently still promoting that and uh, just trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. I've, I've, I have written uh, another, another book in between that uh, I'm not sure what to do with. It's a ghost story. Hmm. And uh, so, you know, it doesn't really fit with my other books. And so my current publisher doesn't really want it because, it, you know, you can't break out of your genre. So Interesting. <laughs> I, I'm trying to do something with that and, and thinking about, you know, what, you know, I, I guess, you know, I'm getting older and I'm starting to slow down a little bit. But, uh, you know, I'm not giving up. I'm, I'm just, you know, not rushing to to put out something that I'm not totally uh, you know 100 percent behind you know yeah. you, you know it, you know you spend a year of your life with one of these books and uh it's got to be something now you know it's got to be something i really want to do yeah that's understandable i mean and, and you've earned that right by the success that you've had up to this point and uh you got to take some time to enjoy the fruits of your labor too which i'm sure you do were you planning on uh were you going to go to the premiere in London when it was first no, originally scheduled for no, that? Okay. No, I don't. I, nah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I went to a couple of premieres when uh, I was writing the books, but have not been to any since. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Raymond, I don't know where to start. I really am uh, absolutely grateful for you taking time to join us today. Uh, well, you, you, proved, you proved my point about, I think, I think given your background and the, and the broad scope of film, and film scores that you know, you really introduced us into, you know, some composers and some films that we might otherwise not have known. And for that, I'm yeah. very grateful too. Well, you know, uh, you know, we've talked about Ennio Morricone and Bernard Herrmann and Nino Rota and Michael Nyman and Spegnik Preisner and John Barry. But, you know, I also just shout out to Philip Glass, I think is great. Danny Elfman is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Maurice Jarre is one of my favorites. And uh, Thomas Newman, I think, has done some, you know, he did the last two Bond scores. I think his stuff before that, like uh, um, Little Children and In the Bedroom um, and uh, The Player, uh, he, he had some really interesting stuff. He did. I, in fact, if I recall, he uh, didn't he also do like American Beauty and Scent of yes, a Woman? Yes, yeah, yes. American Those Beauty two are actually out. real, real favorites of mine. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I've had a, I've had a great time. I hope you have as well. Yes, it's fun. It's a, uh, it's, it's hard to narrow it down to such a, a limited list, but that at least gave us a flavor. And, and who knows? Heck, maybe we can visit, revisit at some point and, and hear some more favorites of you and uh, get another history lesson in filmmaking. <laughs> Sure. Hey, thanks again, Raymond. Really do appreciate it very much, and certainly appreciate all our listeners for joining us today on the program. Uh, Continue to like us on Facebook and leave comments. Let us know how we're doing. We appreciate that. Uh, With that, there's only one thing left to say, and that's simply this. My name is Frank R. Wilson. My time's up. I thank you for yours. Thanks for listening to What's the Score?